So I want to welcome everybody to another episode of The Real World. Uh, I got my friend, and I say this uh, very proudly, um, who somebody I hope to see her in the Senate, the House, something like that. But I got my friend Shannon on the, on the pod with me today. Uh, we are going to discuss some politics. We had the chance to record this yesterday. Didn't really like the quality, so we've redid it. And a bunch of things have happened that we're going to touch on. Um, first and foremost, uh, Shannon, please introduce yourself to the people. Hello, Real World. This is Shannon Curry, political correspondent for, for Real World on SoundCloud. <laughs> so uh, here's the deal. Um, if I'm completely honest, right now it seems like to me, and this is just my opinion, that the news... And kind of what's going on is way more compelling than television, right? Um, so compelling. My mom last night, I saw her for two seconds and she ran downstairs and made herself some popcorn. And I was like, where are you going? She's like, Rachel Maddow's coming on in five minutes. I can't miss it. Yo, TV's really gotten to the <laughs> point where it's like, and I'm just saying the news is must-see TV. Uh, you might be in the Game of Thrones. You might be in the power. Whatever it is, that's your TV vice. Right now, I'm pretty sure the news is putting all of that stuff out of business. Um, So Donald Trump decided to fire James Comey yesterday. Uh, maybe you can tell him a little bit of just, you know, how much of a big deal that is, at least to us. I'm very disappointed that yesterday's taping didn't work out because most of my talking points from yesterday were, were like preempted for, for last night's cable network news. Um, but this this all started this week. All the hoopla uh, started off this week when the former acting attorney general Sally Yates and the former director of the National Intelligence Agency James Clapper were brought brought in to testify about um, Russia, 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 Russia. In uh, Attorney General Yates' testimony, she emphatically tried to tell the current administration that Michael Flynn was a danger. Um, she went there physically twice, made phone calls to uh, White House counsel. Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, kind of said that she just gave them the heads up, but she made it pretty clear that she, she was very, very, very concerned. So going back to Michael Flynn, uh, as I'm sure most of you guys know, he was the national security advisor, one of the first people that Trump has fired. You're fired. It's just becoming a running joke in all sorts of political circles. Um, and it came to light that he, one, had taken a $34,000 payment from a Russia, a Russian media outlet back in April of 2016. And then two, during his transition into his new role, he basically lied to Vice President Pence um, and said that he really didn't have these conversations with his Russian ambassador uh, regarding sanctions. Regardless, it was just hinky and weird. <laughs> and then third, it came to light that he was also secretly lobbying for Turkish interests during our campaign. So you have the person that is in charge of all of our national secrets is deeply embedded with other foreign entities. Uh, Yates somehow got wind of this, tried to bring it to the White House's attention. 
they didn't care. Even President Obama tried to warn that he did not like uh, General Flynn for this position because he had originally hired him back in his administration, but then fired him because of temperament issues or uh, he didn't like the way that he was running running the show. And so you've got that, – that was just Tuesday. I mean, man. <laughs> so for anybody that's <laughs> essentially not watching or paying attention to this stuff, uh, like it's must see TV. What does that have to do with, uh, in our opinion, why we think um, James Comey was fired yesterday? So I brought up the beginning portion because this narrative about Russia keeps coming back over and over again. So that was the beginning of the White House getting a little bit shook about Russia. So now fast forward to Wednesday or so, it came to light that Comey had one recanted a statement about some, some Hillary emails. I think last week he said something about, you know, he was mildly nauseous about the idea of having to, to, uh, stand in front of the White House and say that, that the closed investigation on Secretary Clinton was now going to be reopened 11 days during the election, which it has been, uh, a historical precedence for the FBI to ever get involved 90 days before a U.S. election. So he really went kind of out on the limb. Trump is saying that Comey has done a series of things that has led to him uh, wanting to fire him. But didn't he fire love him Comey. on the campaign, though? He loved him on the campaign when they were talking about lock up Hillary, him and Flynn. And his justificate part of his justification was Comey's actions during the campaign cycle, which is hysterical because it's a direct contradiction to, um, you know, how he feels now. I mean, even watching the news today, um, you know, everyone's finding all these clips from January and February where he's like, oh, Comey's doing great. I have full confidence in him. You know, he really handled the Hillary situation great. So... It came to light today, actually, for uh, probably the rest of us Americans, that earlier in the week, Comey had gone to the Department of Justice and said he needed a larger team. He wanted to expand his investigation on Russia um, and, you know, essentially asked for more help. And then the next day he was fired. He had um, now, uh, he had the Deputy Attorney General, uh, Rubstein, write up a long list, a memo of why he was being fired exactly. But here's where we should all be concerned because it's getting very, very, very murky. So our attorney general right now has recused himself, which basically means he, he plead the fifth. I kept saying that last night, like (laughs) F-I-F-B-F. He pleaded the fifth and said he can't be part of anything that has to do with Russia or anything that has to do with Trump's presidential campaign so anything that he says can't be admissible in court it's really interesting that your attorney general wants nothing to do with russia um and then it's really interesting that the fbi director who's in the middle of expanding his investigation on a sitting president is then fired by said sitting president there's no precedence for this stuff so one of the things that i thought about too um I don't know if you heard about the way that Trump actually fired him. Um, he wasn't in D.C. Uh, he was away doing, like, I guess, a speaking engagement. 
he sent his um, longtime bodyguard to a deliver a letter to him. So now outside looking in, I look at it like, kind of like this, right? Um, you essentially broke up with somebody or if I'm looking at it, just old school style. This is a, a, the equivalent of like saying like, hey, I broke up with my girlfriend over voicemail because I was scared to talk to her. Like, if you're the president, you probably should not be afraid to have conflict and tell somebody straight up, like, hey, you know what? Um, I think that this isn't going to work out between us. Uh, (laughs) A lot of the stuff that I'm hearing in the news is that it seems that the president, uh, contradictory to his image, is really uh, conflict averse. Like, he doesn't like it. He doesn't necessarily want to do it. This is why he fires people, you know, via email uh via letters that he sends to people instead of literally just calling people in and having a conversation for him. I think it's much more than that, D. I think it's really, you know, at this point and and I know this is a narrative now today, even though I said it yesterday, um, you know, when the Watergate scandal was all said and done, forty plus government officials were indicted and sent to jail. And that was over, you know, a domestic espionage issue. This is now international fodder. Like our, our country's security is at risk right now because it sounds as if we have business entanglements with foreign powers and are making or, and have people involved in this administration that are cutting side deals. And so I think what, what 45 is trying to do right now is not so much that he didn't have, you know, the guts to, to confront Comey in person. This man is trying to put as many bodies as possible on the track before it gets to him. And if that means he's got to, you know, invoke someone to write a memo and say, well, per the advisement of the attorney general and the deputy attorney general and this person and that person, I concur, you're fired. I mean, I heard Comey didn't even know. I heard Comey didn't even know until he saw it on CNN and then the bodyguard handed him the letter. Yeah. It literally just came across on a ticker. You know what else I thought was really interesting, too? If you were watching last night and they were showing uh, Comey's jet, LAX about to take off, they kept zooming in on the plane's tail number. That's That seemed very funky to me. If that's a FBI private jet, now I know the tail. I can track it if I wanted it to. Anybody could track it. I didn't know if that was on purpose. I thought you really weren't allowed to be in airspace like that, like commercial airline airspace. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting little angle that like, oh, well, there goes Comey. That's his exact plane right there. If anybody's interested. So do you think that he comes out and talks about any of this stuff? Um, Like what kind of gag order will he be under now that he's, you know, sort of like a private citizen? Like. What becomes well, of the stuff that we've? I thought it was really interesting. So Comey was supposed to testify this week, um, and you know, basically provide uh, uh, the Senate with an update on his on the progress of his investigation. But now that he was fired, now his his underling, McCabe, is going to step in. And I'm like, that's that seems weird, right? Just because you lost your job, why are you no longer testifying in the investigation that you were running? We're just going to sub in your minion. Got it. So, um, the uncharted territory that we're in right now is just 
Yeah, I was going to say, it definitely seems like it's something out of a movie. Um, Completely. And I don't understand how Americans can genuinely think that any type of real justice is going to be served here. You know, anyone that has touched this Russia, anything having to do with Russia has been political career suicide. I mean, you have an attorney general who threw a red flag. She got fired. You have, um, you know, when a Nunez, Congressman Nunez was trying to get involved, you know, and then he did that weird press briefing on his own in front of the White House and then had to take back his comments. And then, you know, he's disappeared into obscurity. Now you've got an FBI director that's just been fired. You know, when you try to keep silencing people by firing them, but it's just, it's just a red flag. So is it possible that we're all just kind of jumping to conclusions or there's nothing there? Like, and I mean, we can't honestly, I can't honestly ask that of you, but that's one of the things that I'm curious about where I feel like, are we taking this too serious? Like, are we literally thinking the worst when it's not, you know, it could just be that maybe this is all coincidence. I'm not saying it is. It just feels like something's wrong. But could we be wrong about this? I mean, if you want to go by the good old fashioned innocent until proven guilty, sure. Um, There's just too many coincidences here for this to be not a red flag. There is some type of large Russia nugget that is going to come out. Maybe not this week, maybe not until later in the year. But there is a reason why these people are, I mean, I'm not going to say they're disappearing, but they're they're disappearing from these positions of power after they are involved with any type of Russia-based investigation. Okay. You, can't, you can't deny that. No. And you can't, as an American, feel comfortable that whatever commission that they put together, even, you know, they're calling for an independent prosecutor. Who's going to pick that person exactly? I mean, it can't be Jeff Sessions, right? Because you just recused yourself from all things Russia. Or is it? Is this supposed to be a separate, separate but equal? Lots of, lots of eyebrow raises here. I just don't want to, as a Democrat, um, jump on the bandwagon and not give everybody a fair shot. You know, uh, I pray, I pray, I pray when I say this, that every, you know, Republican that we've heard they're not just jumping on the bandwagon to protect party and they really believe that everything's okay. You know what I don't saying? think they, I, I don't think they are. I mean, I think your card carrying Republicans when it came to healthcare, yes, they would fall in line. Even if they didn't fully believe that, you know, the bill was up to par, you know, they are currently willing to sacrifice their, their future careers with their own constituencies and vote against their interests in order to appease this president. They are. With that said, I don't think that anyone is going to want to touch the possibility of, of treason of, of, you know, the, I mean, the, the T word is enough. This, I mean, there's really nothing else to say. If, if it comes to light in any way, shape or form that there are operatives within our government that is, in collusion with another foreign entity in order to harm our democracy, that is treason. That is you are trying to destroy American democracy and it's just, it's not going to fly. And I don't think any card carrying Republican 
would be willing to vote along party to protect a president that most of them don't really believe in in the first place. I'm going to hope and pray that that's really how everyone sees it. You know, um, at this point, I don't necessarily have faith in it. Uh, I know Paul Ryan is supposed to talk today. We'll kind of see what he says. If he kind of picks up the same mantle and is just like, oh, well, you know, I think everything's fine. Nothing was unusual about it, but we'll see. Um, and then, you know, like today, first White House press briefing, we, we get it from Sarah Sanders, the deputy White House press officer and not Sean Spicer because conveniently his national service reserve duty started this week and he won't be doing press conferences for the rest of the week. Yo, I didn't know that that started during the week. I thought it was only a weekend job. Me too. Me too. (laughs) But you know, that that's the narrative we're being told. And you're right. I think we should try to remain um, objective and hope you know, that it isn't as bad and maybe the media is just, you know, snowballing with stories and I can't begin to tell you how many allusions to Archibald Cox I've heard in the last six hours. Um, you know, it's a salacious narrative right now. You can't help but to want to watch and see how it unfolds and uh, 45 continues to talk about, you know, continues to tweet that, the media is just blowing this out of proportion and that you would think they would be more happy. And like, you can't sit here and say you fired Kobe because of what he did to Hillary. Like that, that is beyond comical. And then D just to take it further. Like what happens if we find out that Russia did influence our elections? Would you feel comfortable? You know, even if, if Trump gets impeached that Mike Pence then deserves to be the next president. I wouldn't. Here's what I think. And if I'm just going to be bluntly honest about this, um, let's say that he does get impeached for something like this. I certainly think that Mike Pence seems stand up enough where I don't think that he was in the know. Um, Like, I don't necessarily agree with his policies, but like he seems to be, you know, a different type of person. I think my bigger problem with all of that is that the president probably could make all of this stuff go away if he was to denounce certain stuff. Like he's spoken out really strongly against a lot of things that he disagreed with. If he was to literally just say like, Hey, okay, you know what? The Russians did interfere in our election. I don't like it. I know I won. Let's figure all of this stuff out and kind of get to the bottom of it. If we did that, he probably would win over some Democrats, but because he's so stuck on like, no, I won. You know, I don't want you to delegitimize me. He's, you know, his ego is too big to pretty much handle the fact that something else helped him win other than him. And that's why we have this issue where we just don't trust him with it. Like he could literally put all of this stuff to bed, regardless of whatever some kind of like inquisition said about him. Like, yo, I know we'll have like a, you know, we'll have like an independent person probably come in eventually. That's going to end up being a result. But literally, all of this could just be put to bed by his rhetoric. He literally just has to speak. Like, if he came out, you know, tweeting the Because same he's stuff, such an articulate speaker. <laughs> even if he did that. But the way that my man tweets, if he was to literally tweet some of the stuff that he's um, done for other topics, you would probably be like, okay, you get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't necessarily like you or your policies, but I see that you get it. 
Like, I can let this go. But he's not doing that. He's not doing anything to allay those fears of people who didn't vote for him. He's not doing anything to kind of cross the aisle and say, like, hey, I'm America's president. I'm not just the president of the guy that, like, you know, uh, the what is it? The 42 percent of the population or the 30 some percent of the population that voted for me. I'm here for everybody. And I know that this is something that bothers people. So let me deal with it and address it. So that's, you know, really where my beef is. Like we would be but in a much better space. He's not an inclusive person. No, he's by an nature. No, he's an elitist. And so, and I don't think there's, there's no getting past that. And the irony that, uh, middle America and, and our, our more impoverished Americans, identified so deeply with him and you know it it was part of the anti-establishment anti-institutional feelings of you know the government sucks they don't care about me i pay a ton of taxes i can't afford to do anything you know the dissipation of the american dream is real and people are angry about it um and i don't think in case you haven't noticed i have a very hard time saying his name president I usually say 45. I won't say the other derogatory things I probably say behind closed doors. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't think that there's a way for him to really be that unifying factor when you've surrounded yourself with your own cronies. You say you're going to drain the swamp. All you did was get rid of everything that President Obama had done before you. And then fill it up with people who don't have experience in these sectors, but via nepotism, now you're the head of the Department of Education. You're a brain surgeon, but now you're the head of housing and development. So it's, I think I'm going to use that um, as a segue because I know I really wanted to touch on healthcare, care, uh, especially when you said, like, you know, getting rid of stuff that President Obama specifically had talked about or he had done during his eight years. So, um, healthcare bill, uh, the house's version of, you know, their repeal or what they're calling a repeal of replace of the affordable care act passes last week, um, Mm -hmm. to the average American, what does that mean for them? So under Obama's ACA act, um, over 20 million Americans were, were covered and, um, I want to start off by saying, because for some reason, a lot of people don't get the fact that this, if you have a job and your employer provides health insurance to you, this does not apply to you. This is for the poorest Americans. This is for, um, you know, before the ACA, Medicaid was not an insurance program for the poor. It was an insurance program for some people who were poor, but it really largely covered those whose incomes were equivalent to a fraction of the federal poverty line, which I think is like 20, 35,000. So you, you literally, you don't have a job or you're disabled or, you know, you are, uh, let's go retired. So the ACA doesn't really apply to everyone unless you don't have a job. Right. But under this new plan that the Republicans have rolled out, it will basically take all of that health insurance and strip it away from those Americans. The same Americans that voted vehemently for Trump. Um, the, it will defund Planned Parenthood 
for at first a year and then they're going to try to uh, relegate that responsibility down to the state level and not at the federal level. But again, Planned Parenthood does more than just abortions. They provide human services, immunizations, prenatal care, vitamins, basic health insur- uh, insurance, ba- basic health care, colds, antibiotics, not, not just abortions, but that is the, uh, you know, top line rhetoric for any GOP whenever you say Planned Parenthood. Um, so they will take away the premiums for older Americans. So if you are retired and you are 65, 75, you don't have a job anymore and you're on a fixed income, what the ACA did would, it would supplement and provide subsidies so that you could pay for your health insurance, pay for some of those pre-existing conditions that you probably have at age 70 without penalizing you. Um, this new plan takes that away. It also targets people with pre-existing conditions, which is a really big term that people keep talking about. But under this current plan, that list of what pre-existing conditions are is really expensive, like asthma, high blood pressure, obesity. So if you're Pregnancy fat today- scares. Pregnancy scares. Um, I mean, I've even heard that irregular periods are on here, which, by the way, every every menstrual cycle is irregular. There is no. Right. That's why I said pregnancy scares. Like, I got that from yeah. you. And, like, I laughed at that when I heard that being a thing. Um, So if we have all of these things that are kind of being taken away, uh, I think the biggest thing that, that always sticks out in my mind is that what most people don't even worry about this, like you know like certainly some of the benefits of uh ACA we all kind of benefited from um like i know you get like the wellness check every year with your your primary care doctor that kind of mm-hmm. stuff where it's like a certain level of care but most people have um employer provided insurance yes and so a lot of these things don't tend to be the same problem that they would be if you were getting it in the individual marketplace exactly um it also took away, it takes away a mandate. So under Obamacare, and this is what really was the feather ruffler, I'd say, for the GOP, is that under Obamacare, it was mandatory. Everyone had to have insurance. That was it, period. Um, but, and uh, before you even start, but yeah. don't we all have to have car insurance? If you have a home, you have to have homeowner's insurance. Uh, if you happen to get, so for me, uh digs a little into my personal life for my house i um got a what you call it uh hud i got my mm-hmm. local hud not hud mm-hmm. uh what do you call it i can't remember but i didn't have to put as much money down on my house so like you have mortgage insurance which is a crazy mm-hmm. amount of money every month it seems like we pay a lot of money in the sh- insurances why is this one any different um when everything else seems to be mandatory well so yes I'm going to use car, though, as an example, right? So if you have a leased vehicle, right, and you have to have insurance because that car, it ain't yours. It's leased, right? But if I don't have a leased vehicle and I'm driving my old 1992 Toyota Corolla, I should have insurance. I should have liability insurance, but I can drive around dirty and not have insurance. And then let's say I now hit somebody. I don't have insurance. That's on you. Sorry. I don't have to pay. For, you, do you expect me to pay for your medical bills? Well, I don't have insurance and maybe I don't have a job either. So somebody eats that cost. 
there's no getting around it. It's just I, I personally, because I don't have insurance on my 92 Corolla and maybe I don't have a job either, I can't afford to pay for it. So what ends up happening? The other person's insurance picks it up. They right. fix the car. Uninsured motorist. Everybody has that policy under their insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's similar in the healthcare market. If I don't have a job and I don't have insurance and I end up getting hurt in some way and you call the ambulance for me, which we all know you don't call the ambulance unless you're on your deathbed. Cause that's like a nice $1,200 ride just, just to the hospital. Um, and let's pray they don't you, do anything to you in it. Right. Right. And God forbid they give you oxygen or, <laughs> or, or a steroid because the cost will escalate quickly. I get to the hospital. You realize I don't have insurance. I'm bleeding out. Somebody's going to fix me up and patch me up and send me on my way. And then um, I'm going to get a bill for it, one that I can't afford to pay. I'm just going to ignore it. Like, it's my Sally Mae loans. Just kidding. I pay them all the time. Just kidding. Um, uh, but someone eats that cost. This, this the Obamacare was trying to mitigate others for having to take responsibility for that cost by making it a mandate that every American had to to have insurance. Now what the new bill does, it allows um insurers to charge people who have been uninsured for more than two months thirty percent surcharge on their premiums. So you decided not to have health care, okay? Now you want, now you need health insurance. You're going to pay 30 times more than we would have under ACA. A lot of money. It's making health insurance impossible, unattainable altogether for, for your, your poorest Americans. And I think I had like a, and this is what I want to stop you with. So is this why we see like the big like outlet or big backlash at all of the town halls, you know, when these congressmen are going home to their districts, when they're having these town halls, uh, people who, you know, before were saying, yo, don't kill my grandmother are now coming back and being like, um, what are you doing with my health care? Right. You're you're going to kill my grandmother and you are more concerned about giving um you know, her grandchildren health care at a cheap rate than my grandmother, who's been here for a long time and really, really needs it. The, the disconnect is like uncanny. Um, but, you know, these these politicians who and to their credit, I will say, you know, 45 when he didn't when he thought the health care bill was going to go through the first couple of times at the beginning of the year he was calling it trump care and then when he didn't like the way that it was going then he was like don't call it trump care call it ryan care and then when it got passed it became trump care again that's the pattern with him is he wants to take credit when things are good but when things are bad he'll throw as many people in front of it as possible to distance himself so he could say i know that really really wasn't my idea and i didn't really understand what was going on so that's not me and then the the real caveat, I think, about this bill that they have right now is they don't really have a way to pay for it. The the, the Obamacare had, had two tax cuts, and, and the one was um, an investment increases. tax. Yeah, tax increases. It was one on the um, an investment tax. If you make over $250,000 a year, uh, you know, it was like 3.8% or something of your, your income would go there. And then the other was uh, 
on individuals in the same high tax bracket. And it was like 0.9%. So now that those two things are gone, how do you pay for this? So like, what are you going to cut? Again, too, as a person who the average American, you know, and, and I'm going to include families in this. They'll never make $250,000 a year. Just average American families. Absolutely. Why do they care so much that, you know, people who are above them have higher tax rates for stuff? Um, like this whole redistribution of wealth seems to be something that comes up often in the Republican platform that they hate. Mm-hmm. But this has kind of been, if I'm fair, uh, how the country has always worked, where it's like, all right, that our, our tax rates progressive. The more money you make, the higher your tax rate is going to be. So why is it that somebody who's, you know, you know, frankly, not making a lot, what, what interest is it of theirs to support that platform? Um, it's not in their interest, but if you are uninformed and don't take the time to, to really understand what these, these bills and laws mean, and you are really just about reading tweets and, and you know, taking 45's tweets as, as Bible truth, then you aren't even really aware that this is, this is shooting yourself in the foot. And so, you know, when you've got these, these Republicans now who are going to be on recess shortly going home, they're hiding from their own constituencies because they, they know the bill in its current form is going to destroy people's lives so is there, that why you hear a lot of the rhetoric of no it's not really my people that are at the town hall it's the democratic paid operatives um which is so ridiculous i mean you know this did that when obama you know first had people going around for the aca it's just so hard to know like what's real and what's not and what's truth and what's planted and i mean you know i always tried to um, encourage people to seek information from multiple sources uh, of the news media. Go online. Always go to foreign press and see how they're talking. I'm, I don't even want to see how they're talking about us today. Uh, talking about us like a dog. Um, but you know they don't. They don't know any better. You know they. They just remember we're going to repeal Obamacare. Repeal Obamacare. Repeal Obamacare. Repeal Obamacare. Repeal Obamacare. All you hear. Well, you know what? If you were in West Virginia in coal country. You've just been shoved two lies down your throat. You got, you've been told that coal is coming back. Coal is never coming back. Nope. Ever. It's dead. dead. And if you're still working in the coal mines, making less than $15 an hour, you now also are about to lose your health insurance as well and your job. And you know, that those coal mines, those, those lung, lung issues, those are all pre-existing. So good luck. Um, getting the basic health care that you need. So I, I feel so bad about that stuff. And maybe that's where I'm, I come from a compassionate place where I'm like, you know what? I don't want to see people in that position, right? I get it that you're doing it to yourself. Not everybody has the same skill set. As much as I want to th- say that like, yo, I'm great. I don't think that anything that I'm currently doing at work is brain surgery. Like I just don't. Um, But I do know that people that, you know, are in these like lower end jobs, they need help doing stuff. Now I was a person who was single, no kids, no house at a certain point making decent money. I got the shit taxed out of me. Did I like it? No, 
but like there's nobody that's claiming to help me like i don't have that whole you know wing of any party like hey we need to help that guy pay less in taxes the only people you hear them you know specifically trying to say is like oh if you're a business owner we'll give you an incentive to spend money into something like if you got millions of dollars in the bank you're taking risks to make more money and eh, i don't know how much the government needs to help you out with that but okay Everybody seems to get some kind of handout. So if I'm saying this as a person who didn't get the same benefits in terms of tax breaks that I just want to see people do well, I don't understand why somebody that, you know, happens to make less money than me is so much more opposed to helping other people. Like we all can help somebody. Oh, I totally agree. But, you know, you brought up a really good point and like should definitely be a topic of conversation on a future show. Um I, too, have been kind of complaining about this when I was on the campaign about I I am a non-traditional woman in America. I'm over 30. I'm single. I have no kids. I make six figures. I've got a six-figure school loan debt as well. But our tax code isn't meant for someone like me. I almost get punished for not being a wife. No, there is no almost. You <laughs> do. Like, yeah, that, I, that I do. I mean, I just because of, you know. I'm trying to be humble about certain stuff. Like, I'm not going to really say how much money we're spending in taxes. I know for a fact it's a grip and there's nothing cool about that. But I'm okay with knowing that, like, you know, the money that they're obviously taking from me, if it's helping other people, even though I know most of it goes to military spending, I'm okay with that. Like, sure, I'd like to pay less, but, you know, grand scheme of things, it is what it is. My life is okay. Just how I see it. Uh, you know, you would say that way, and that, and and someone would say that is a democratic value, um, and not and not a Republican value. Republicans are, you know, self sufficient. Um, you know, they are nature, not nurture. And so, you know, you say yes, I want to help out my. I'm doing well. I want to give my tidings forward to those who are less fortunate as I am. Whereas the other side sees it as those are handouts, those are entitlements. <coughs> Excuse me. And, you know, they need to be able to pick themselves up. Well, it's impossible for them to pick themselves up if you have taken away their ability to have a quality education because you're instituting voucher programs. You're taking all the smart kids out of the schools and leaving the schools with all, all the kids that can't afford the advantages. If you take away their health care, uh, now you have a population that is is not informed, and now they also are not getting basic human services. So, you know, you got a whole bunch of population of kids that you're going to have running around because you're also going to take away the ability for free birth control. But mind you, Viagra, you can get it readily. Um, so now you're going to have a population. Yeah, like, exactly. Let's keep it real. Old men are exactly. in charge of stuff, and because they still want to get it in, they'll keep that covered. For sure. So, you know, you're creating this this situation where you're taking away all of the small opportunities that our lowest earning uh, a population can can take advantage of you're taking away their homes you're cutting housing programs you're, you're cutting section 8 programs like these these are services that are not gifts they're not like add-ons people rely on these and so you don't have a house, you don't have an education, and you don't have health care. Like, isn't that how, like, plagues start? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it starts. That that essentially leads to anarchy. <laughs> that's, yeah. You know, that's how you have an Arab Spring. 
that's how you have all of these movements that typically go through overthrowing governments because the lowest of the people who feel marginalized, you know, they start to be tired of it. And just the vast number of them, they're like, you know what? We're just not doing this anymore. Nobody yeah. wants that here. Nobody. No, no. And I don't think it's going to get that far. I think, you know, at the end of the day, however this sort of Russia thing shakes out um, is, is going to kind of determine uh, what this administration is going to be able to do moving forward. I think yesterday you were asking me about, you know, do I think this bill is going to pass the Senate? I don't think anything's going to pass anything until this Russia situation takes a takes a back seat, and I don't I don't think it's going anywhere for a while. Oh, this bill is dead on arrival in the Senate, just like the other. I think I looked this up. Uh, basically, most of the numbers have said that at least sixty times, like there's been some sort of repeal um, of Obamacare in the House. The Senate has yet to actually pass a bill one time. Hmm this is going to be the same thing. So, you know, I get it. They had the photo shoot. It basically looked like uh, all of the same people were standing behind Donald Trump when they did this last week. <laughs> I saw that picture. That was funny. Yeah. I just don't see a situation where we, you know, of course, because the way the news cycle is set up, that was a big crisis. I just don't see it being a big thing. Like, I'm not worried yet. Now, you know, fast Nor forward like six months. That could be a different discussion, but for right now, I think it's you know going nowhere fast. You have to remember too how our our government works. It's kind of like a Rob Peter to pay Paul. Things might disappear from one bill, um, but they could reappear in another. You know, they could be tagged on to a budget, which will have to be revisited in September. Um, so. I'm not too, too concerned that, that the world is going to spiral, <laughs> spiral down the drain anytime soon. But I do think that this, this particular healthcare bill is not going to go anywhere, especially the like elite 13 white men that they have decided to fix, fix it. Um, I think it's just going to end up being political suicide unless they really make some serious changes. Um, that one is going to be, you know, bipartisan received and to the fact that there's no women involved i mean i think that's going to be an underlying issue that's going to really come back up in the next couple of weeks of like you can't have this health care conversation and not have one single female senator weighing in because there are just certain things as a woman that a man you will never know or understand that need to be addressed i mean it's the same reason why there's only you know there's not enough female representation in congress not enough minority representation in congress you have a bunch of people that don't represent your demographic making these rules Shout that are Kamala going Harris, to... my new favorite person oh my god i just met her i love her she's so smart yeah i follow her on instagram so not because she's pretty but because she says cool stuff even you know i've been kind of following tim scott from south carolina because I, I also got to meet him through the urban league uh, in the last week, and you know what? It's just good to see, you know, minorities stepping up and and trying to get a, a seat at the table, and it's important. Yeah, even on the Republican side, like I don't necessarily agree with his policies a lot of times. Um, but Uh-oh, I thought Lester. what he did say, yeah, specifically speaking to the whole Black Lives Matter movement, when you know they were saying like, oh, there's all these Capitol Hill police who wouldn't even respect them of being a senator, where they were just like, what are you doing here? And he's like. What do you mean? I'm a senator. Now nah, we don't believe you. Like, 
So that <laughs> made me have a newfound respect for him. So he was able to touch on something that affects all of us. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, we're definitely going to have, we ha- we've have right now a population of young children that know nothing but a black president until now. I know. <laughs> I know. Until now. Um, but at least they have a good foundation of what could and should be going on in, in Washington. And hopefully that'll inspire them to to want to take positions of leadership in the future, too. So here's something crazy that I thought about. Remember a few years ago, everything that we did, we're just like, oh, why would you want to be French? We hate the French. Don't follow the French. The French are actually doing the smart thing right now. And they elected somebody that wasn't radical and like way to the right of everything that they've stood for. Shout out to them. I hope we get the chance to be more like them and not just to have like crepes and French fries and crap like that. I think, well, France is, is a special case right now because, you know, I don't understand why all of these uh, terror attacks keep happening in France. Um, but I think, you know, the, the vote from this past week um, really was a testament to say that, like, we are not going to be bullied into fear. And even though I know that France ends up having a large migrant population really pass through their country, right? Because a lot of immigrants, right. So a lot of immigrants, they're coming from uh, West Africa. They're going through Italy, then through France to get to London, right? But the UK has kind of made it a mandate that France be the first line of defense. You can get through the Italian border, the French are sending these immigrants back to Italy, back to their ports of um, entry. They're not kicking them out of the EU altogether, but they're saying like, hey, you came in through Florence. I'm sorry, you're going back to Florence. Like, you can't just skip around here and hope that you find a country that wants to take you. Like there's a formal process and you have to follow it. And I respect that. Like, I mean, aren't we doing the same? <laughs> the only difference is, is Fran- France is France has just become this hotbed of, I mean, what was it, the Cannes Film Festival? Uh, it wasn't the festival, but uh, that truck set that went through the festival in Cannes. Right, where the guys and then they guys And they had the shooting. Like, I feel like the French are getting a real mean taste of terrorism at their doorstep and electing someone who's walking around saying, we're going to ban people by their religion, by their creed, by their race, by their nation is not the way to go to like stop the terrorist things happening in your country. Exactly just like, I, I don't think it's the way we should do it. Nah, Absolutely. I'm Absolutely. all the way down the Muslim ban and everything else. Um, I know we went a little bit longer than I wanted to, but I'm glad we got the chance to kind of redo this. Uh, I, it sucks that people can't hear like the original conversation. It was dope. It was a really good conversation. Um, Gucci. I'm worried right now because there's a protest outside. I'm like standing in the corner. Like, I hope you can't hear all the sirens and the people honking. <laughs> <laughs> well, Miss Curry, I want to say thank you for coming to the real world. Um, I appreciate it. Let me get one of them light and fluffy topics next time. <laughs> I promise to get you something that's easy that you can knock out the park. Uh, no, but you know what? Yeah, I'm happy to be all. here. I, whatever I can do to help educate the masses, share some words and thoughts. And ultimately, that's what we're here for. Uh, Everybody, you can find us on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. Um, Send any comments to my email address. It's all within the link. It's been another episode of The Real World, and we'll see you guys later. Thanks again, and take care. Bye.